Hello and welcome to the Let's Not Panic podcast. We're two practical people chronicling a pretty impractical trip from San Francisco to Patagonia and back again this super duper long way. We're trying not to panic. If you're just joining us, I'm Maggie. And I'm Adam. And we're a married couple who've quit our jobs, given up our lease, and hit the road in a Toyota 4Runner that's now our home. And we have returned to what feels like our home region. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh, last we recorded, we were still in Montana. Which felt like a different place. Totally. I had been there before, Maggie had been there before, but neither of us, you know, felt home, right? Well, yeah, I mean, the last time I was there, I was four years old or something. right. Um, but then we crossed, we did one long driving day, nine hour driving mm-hmm. to get to Seattle. Mm-hmm. And boy, did that just feel like we're home. We're on the West Coast. We've been here together multiple times mm-hmm. in Seattle. I lived in Seattle for yeah. a short period of time. And it was kind of emotional for me. I was just like, oh, really? It, yeah. The trip the trip is almost ending. Yeah. I mean, it's real. so my mom's side of the family is from Seattle. So we were able to see a lot of my family while mm-hmm. we were there. Um and for some reason, a lot of my friends from college also ended up in Seattle or were from Seattle in the first place. Right. right. And so we were in town for a wedding, right. which was great. Um, but it, it's, I think, like the most surrounded by our own people that we've been for like since we left. Yeah. yeah. Basically. And the feeling too, just like the general walking around on the street vibe going to the supermarket, like how people drive, everything. It's just like, yeah, I know this yeah. place. This is this is where I'm from. Even though it's we're not back to California yet, it's the West Coast. You yeah. Know? Very familiar. Sidebar, I was really excited. We went to Elliott Bay Bookstore, which uh-huh. is beautiful in Capitol Hill in Seattle, and they were carrying my book. Of course. And it made my heart feel good, so I signed their copies. Oh, did you tell them that you were going to do that or did you I just... I did. <laughs> I didn't just... Like, <laughs> I went to a desk and I very sheepishly was like, I wrote this. Can I please sign it? And they were like, yeah, that's fine. Please do. That'd be great. And then I was like, I'll put it away for you. And then I realized later, like, I probably should have let it left it out so they could like remember what it was called and potentially read it themselves. Yeah. That it's a picture book. Right. But I was like... <laughs> So because sh- I love that store so much. What would happen if I went into a store and was just like, hey, I'm this author. Can I sign your books? I think it would <laughs> depend on who you chose. Like, I bet you could get away with that f- with like 80 percent of titles that are yeah. in a bookstore. And I just scribble like a terrible signature yeah. on it. And they're kind of watching me and like, uh, is this real? No, is, I don't think anyone ever wonders person? that. As a person who worked in a bookstore for yeah. like the actual bookstore for five years, mm-hmm. I would definitely would have believed just about everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless he came in and you were like, I'm Malcolm Gladwell. I'd like to sign this book for you. You know. Speaking of stores, mm-hmm. we went to the ARB store. Did we not, Maggie? That wasn't a store. That was the office. It, come on. The, it was a Segway. Just roll with my Segway. Why are you going to poop on my Segway? I hate Segways. <laughs> but this was actually really cool. We didn't get to get, you know, like go into the back room where they have I all I wanted them of the, to let us into their warehouse so badly. Could we have hinted at that any harder? <laughs> I was like, whoa, it looks really cool back there. And they're just like, yep, it sure does. It's cool back there. Trust <laughs> and then us. they were like, why don't you go sit down over there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but we did meet with a guy I, I spoke about in earlier episodes. His name was Brian. Mm-hmm. And he was the resident refrigerator expert. Mm-hmm. And it turns out for all of North and South America, <laughs> like he handles all of the support conversations. Yeah. Uh, so really quickly, a little bit of background. ARB is the company that made our side awning mm-hmm. that was destroyed in the wind. It's just and an awning. And our refrigerator. Yeah. yeah. Just, just an awning. In the room. 
the room and we actually have a tire deflator from them. They oh, make really? yeah. Yeah. We have a I don't think we chose their puncture re- repair kit for mm-hmm. tires because it was a little pricey and the other ones seem yeah. to have anyway, just as good reviews. They're a four by four and overlanding outfitting company. Yeah. So their parking lot was full of rigs, which was kind of neat. For instance, we went with a four X innovations rear bumper. And mm-hmm. they're these are expensive things, but if we were going to get a front bumper, we would definitely get an ARB front bumper for the forerunner. I have to say Visiting the ARB offices made me want a front bumper despite how entirely unnecessary it is. Yeah, the only thing that would keep me from getting a front bumper is it's just heavy. It's a lot of weight. Totally. I feel like it's mostly an aesthetic thing, but it makes it look really cool. It, it's also a safety <laughs> thing because you, if you have a huge, we have the huge rear bumper. If someone mm-hmm. rear-ended us, mm-hmm. aside from the fact that we have... Uh, Gas. 10 gallons of gasoline strapped to the rear bumper. That's yeah. not great for that aspect. But what it is good for is our car would probably not even get dented. We yeah. have a huge steel bar on the back. Same thing with the front. If we collided with something, we'd pretty much be indestructible. So if we so, wanted to make Shadow like a zombie apocalypse preparedness exactly. vehicle, we'd want to get that front bumper? Exactly. That seems like enough reason. Yeah. So the thing <laughs> is, though, we don't want a winch. And that's one of the main things yeah. that you can do. Like yeah. you, A winch is just overkill, I feel like, for how we yeah. off-road. We don't really try to get into trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't need a winch. And so we don't need the front bumper. And yeah. the, the weight is the main thing. Like Shadow yeah. is, is already kind of bogging walking down yeah yeah it's true um but anyway yeah brian came out mm-hmm. looked at the fridge mm-hmm. and it was it turned out a pretty simple fix he was able to identify the problem quickly he's like this f- fan in the front left that's supposed to be expelling the heat is not turning like it the compressor is running um and it's working it's co- it's a little cold inside when i turn it on mm-hmm. but the fan is not cycling air and kind of hearkening back to the conversation we had in one of my technical corners recently about a radiator it's the same idea. Like there's heat and it's building up and that's all a refrigerator does is it gets the heat and transfers it somewhere else. But without that fan, there's no way to actually expel it. Yeah. It would be as if we were driving a car and you have your radiator running, but then you block up the airflow so that no air goes through the radiator. Yeah. So the radiator is never able to cool down. Yeah. So he took it in the back and switched out the fan for us, brought it back in like 10 minutes, and Mm -hmm. we were on the road. Mm -hmm. Well, you also switched out our awning poles, Mm -hmm. which was great. Yeah. And I got three different messages from people on Instagram being like, oh, I didn't know you could replace just the poles. That's one of the... Because they get damaged really easily. And I would like to just say, if you are a person holding out on replacing those poles, you should absolutely do it. They're like 11 bucks each. Yeah. And they just screw right in. It was really cool. That's one of the main reasons to choose an ARB awning. Every single piece on that awning is replaceable and Mm -hmm. not for very much. Yeah. Brian told me that really it's just the one big, like the bag and the metal metal bar at the far end of the awning are Mm -hmm. the two things that... If those break, maybe you just need a new awning. It's totaled. Yeah. But other than that, it's like $11, like Maggie said, to replace one of the legs. So it was yeah. like $33, and we were out the door with like a brand new strong awning again. And what cracks me up about it is like one of the legs had been wonky for like six months. Yeah. Like solidly half our trip. Yeah, yeah. Maybe even more than that. Actually, I think it might have gotten damaged on election night. Because remember it rained and we were camping on that plantation? I think that's when it got bent originally. No, I remember where it was. It was the jungly place that we slept and woke up in the next morning and the roads were just closed. And everyone in the village is like, you think you're driving anywhere right now? No, no, it's raining. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can't that drive on the road when it's raining. So that means it's more than six yeah, months. It was it, like nine months. It just got bent. It didn't get yeah. like 
completely broken. It just took no, a lot totally. of hand strength but to like set up. That whole time. And then it was such an easy fix. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that was ARB. It was very mm-hmm. cool. Um, mm-hmm. And then we had the wedding. Yeah. My friend Melissa from college. Congratulations, Mitchell and Melissa. It was a very sweet wedding. And they did something that I think is really cool, which is that they did the ceremony privately, just their family. Mm-hmm. And then they just had a party for the rest of us. And I think that avoids all of the like extra drama about choosing yeah. the part, the wedding party. The, yeah. I don't know. Melissa's like one of my most low drama friends and I deeply appreciate her for it. Yeah. Um, and this is sidebar <laughs> tacos. They had a taco truck. That was the first tacos I've had in so long. Yeah. I didn't realize how much I missed tacos. That was the first time in the U.S. that I was able to bust out some Spanish in a comfortable way. And really? Like speak. Yeah. Cause oh, she I was had like, no idea. She would, I was talking to her about the gluten thing and then she would turn and speak in Spanish to the other workers and I was like oh and I just kind of joined in yeah it felt nice oh I didn't know that I wasn't exercise my Spanish more yeah we also and by we I mean me got so drunk that that night (laughs) I had to do the thing where you like stay up for an extra two hours just to try to like be awake through some of the drunkenness yeah and just stay up and eat a whole package of locks I did on your own (laughs) no you helped me so hey it was like one pound of smoked fish and I bet that's part of the reason I wasn't so hungover (laughs) the next morning by all rights I should have been very hungover no I like that move the staying up when you're drunk until you feel like you're you have it a little bit more under control. Yeah. I, th- I just feel like it works out better overall the next morning. I'd rather be tired than hungover yeah. is the thing. You so. don't really get sleep when you sleep drunk anyway. You're yeah. just processing the alcohol That's true. anyway. So I think you just do it better when you're awake. And I got to almost finish the British office, which I was rewatching. So yeah, <laughs> that was good. Um, and the other thing that we got to do while we were in Seattle that was really great was visit my Uncle Butchie. He lives in a group home. Um, he's got like a severe developmental disability. Um, so he's lived in the same home for like almost 30 years now, I feel like. It's been crazy mm-hmm. how long he's been there. It's a really close-knit community. It's not very many people there, right? No, no, it's not. And so like Wade, who's another guy who's been in that home for a really long time, has been his best friend for like 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's very sweet. I always would say, like, Butchie's like the nicest person in our family, easily. <laughs> um, but he also loves cars. And so we got to show him Shadow. And he can be kind of shy. Like when you go to visit him at Beverly, if you haven't seen him in a while, which obviously we haven't. He's a little reticent to talk and that kind of thing. Um, but he liked Shadow. I had Adam open up the tent for Butchie, and he was pretty into that. Yeah, after I opened the tent, he was a lot more sherry. Like, he was yeah. He was like, I'm going to go camping soon. I like, figured out what he meant by that, by the way. He goes to a day camp. Uh, oh. Yeah, because okay. <laughs> I was like, how would you take Butchie camping? Because, like, he has so many special needs. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, he's in a wheelchair half the time, and, you know. I see. He's very uh fragile and so it's like how would that work mm-hmm. it was like he goes to a day camp I with see. beverly and oh. so when marilyn my aunt marilyn comes to town she'll go to the day camp with him i see so when she he says he's going to go camping with marilyn that's what he means okay which is very sweet <laughs> but he got excited to talk to us about that after he saw shadow yeah. and we're like we live in there we crawl up a ladder and he <laughs> yeah came out of his shell yeah it was really sweet mm-hmm. yeah so we got a question from friend of the show red scott Host of the Boris Gore and Swords podcast, which mm-hmm. is fucking on fire right now because yeah. it's a Game of Thrones recap podcast for the most part, yeah, or they're, primarily. They're blowing it up. Yeah. yeah. So you may have noticed them being featured on the 
Apple Podcast Store and also like in the top charts recently. They're mm-hmm. hilarious. It's two stand up comedians recapping Game of Thrones. But Red's question, uh, he asked a question that we've covered. I know we've covered the, just like piecewise over like five or six different episodes. But I feel he like put we it, piecemeal covered yeah, it. Yeah. He put it all together in one coherent thing that I think a lot of people probably are wondering mm-hmm. about. So here's his question. Why don't you read it? Because you're better at speaking. Let's just be honest. Okay. Red's question is, you both seem very frustrated with U.S. camping, the only version of camping I've experienced. I don't love how crowded the national and state parks are, and hearing you describe, quote, wild camping makes me wonder if there's a better way. What is wild camping? Are you just camping in unregulated illegal spots? Would you recommend it? How does one go about finding wild camping spots? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. a good question. So this has come up before because... Other pal of the show Swimat was like, what do you mean by boondocking? We kept saying boondocking. Yeah, which, which is, is the same thing as wild thing. camping. Yeah. Um, maybe boondocking has more of the illegal slash unregulated mm-hmm. aspect. That's true. Um, the, I guess there would be a distinction between boondocking, which is just going somewhere and hoping not to get noticed and sleeping in your vehicle mm-hmm. or ke- making a camp that no one's going to notice you or find you, and dispersed camping, which is legal camping, supported Mm -hmm. camping for whatever the facilities uh, will allow um, and whatever the rules will allow. So, for instance, in California, to some extent, because California is so big, but especially in Arizona and Utah and New Mexico, there is what is called Bureau of Land Management Lands, public lands. And they're basically just land that is reserved by the government that's available to be used by anyone in the public. Um, And for the most part, these places let you camp for up to 16 days in the same place, and it's completely legal. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, especially in Utah, the land is beautiful. Like, we're talking, like, you drive up a really cool trail, and you're on the top of a mesa where you can see, like, a 360-degree panorama. That's where you started Project Golden Nethers. Yep, yeah. That's how much (laughs) space there is, though. Like, there was no one there That was the first time you decided to take a trot about our campsite uh, naked. Yeah. Because um, there was no one around. I, I could yeah. go for it, you know? So wild camping really just refers to spots that aren't like a designated camping spot. Yeah. So wild kind of encompasses both of what I was describing. Yeah. Right? And then he asked, are you just camping in unregulated illegal spots? And I would say, arguably, we've only camped in one spot that was illegal, where we knew we weren't supposed to camp there and, and did anyway. You mean since we've been back in North America? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, one time we camped in a national park. In a non-regulated in a, not spot. Not in a campsite. Yeah. Um, in Canada. In Which, by the Jasper. way, I would like to clarify that when we did that, we were hyper vigilant about being incredibly clean, which yeah. we are anyway, but it was especially important under those circumstances, I felt like, to be like, let's not be jerks here. Because yeah. we're already jerks. And we would be pretty low footprint too we tried not to take too much space up and we didn't put our tent up until like we were going to bed and then Mm -hmm. when we got up in the morning we closed the tent up immediately Mm -hmm. um but you know that was kind of born out of last minute not having any options yeah um typically we would leave the national park Mm -hmm. and go to national forest which is another place that you can find wild camping very often and Mm -hmm. very very often it is completely allowed yeah um and typically there's national forest right outside of large national parks. Yeah. Uh, so, and so he asked, 
would you recommend it? And I would say hard fucking yes. Yeah, for many reasons. First of all, it's free. So yeah. if you're on a trip like Maggie and I have been on and you need to make ends meet, so to speak, you don't do that by like doing work and making having a job. You save and then you try to decrease your daily spend rate as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So free is a huge advantage and free definitely covers, no matter what we're talking, dispersed camping or boondocking, all free. Right? So free is great. The thing that I like the best about it is that it is that kind of like quiet time with nature that you think of when you think of camping. Yeah. Like to me, camping in a national park or state park doesn't do that thing because you see so many other human beings and people are playing music and everyone's walking around. And so you very, it's like being in a shopping mall, but outside kind of, Yeah, that's you know? a good way to describe <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. Like you're like, okay, like I don't mind, I don't hate other people. <laughs> Yeah. But it's not like quiet nature time moments for introspection and like that kind of thing. It, Whereas it, like when you wild camp, you really can, if you don't talk to your partner for 20 minutes, be completely on your own and just hear nature. Yeah. Yeah. I think you nailed it. Uh, you When you are in a national park, especially in the desirable months, mm -hmm. which is like summer, mm -hmm. It's just filled with all sorts of people. Mm -hmm. You may have a few groups that are on the same page as you, want to enjoy quiet nature and relax and mm -hmm. just, you know, be chill. But there's going to be a group of four people that are celebrating and they're, you know, drinking and talking as and catching up. As they have every up. right to do. And there's going to be a family with three kids that are running around. And, mm -hmm. like, all, exactly. They have a right to do that. And that's what the space is for. Yeah. But it's very different when you can just kind of like be in nature yeah. and be separate. And maybe even somebody else will show up to the same site because we'll, as we will talk about for the last part of the question, how we find these places, mm -hmm. we're all using the same kind of tools to find these other places. But when someone shows up at the same boondocking site, they're on the same page. Like yeah. they're, they're a self-sufficient vehicle. They know from camping, they're not really there to party and, and ruin things for the most part. Yeah. Ruin the, the serene vibe. So the way that we find these spots, and I actually just recommended this again to somebody online about 10 minutes before we started recording, because mm -hmm. uh, she's going on a road trip in Utah, oh. is to download the iOverlander app. Like We can't speak to how valuable that app has been enough. Yeah, it's great. It also, we've had a few experiences on it where, um, uh, for instance, at a certain point, the creator of iOverlander posted a rant on his app store page or it may have even been like an interstitial thing that popped up when you opened the app mm -hmm. that admonished people to like respect the sites to clean up after themselves to stop ruining it to stop camping mm -hmm. in places that you're not supposed mm -hmm. to camp there's a lot of problems with this type of stuff because one thing that happens is people will put up a great site and then all of a sudden this undiscovered gem of a like boondocking site gets swamped with lots of people who leave beer cans and bullet casings and dog shit behind per last week's episode. Exactly. And then the locals say, why is this happening? So they find out about the app. They complain to the app. They ask that the spot be removed from the database. Um, this has all happened. I've seen things like be removed from the app. Yeah. In Chile, there was a spot that they specifically were like, you can't camp yeah. here. There, people are complaining about the constant shit smell because I guess people were just taking giant dumps. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so like so it's a good <laughs> and bad thing, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> if everyone acted was a good actor mm -hmm. and kept things clean and was respectful, then which that'd be we great. imagine anyone who listened to our podcast and then used yes. the iOverlander app would do. Yes. To be quite honest, I don't feel like we're necessarily 
I feel like we'd be preaching to the choir when we're like, keep it clean. And everyone who listens here is like, obviously. Yeah. Well, the nice thing is we have the Trasheroo. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about the Trasheroo in the past. I'll put it in the show notes um, if you guys are curious what that is. But it allows us to be pretty cavalier about picking up trash. We don't have to yeah. cart the stuff around in the car. If it's stinky, no big deal. Like yeah. I don't, we the dog shit. We picked up that dog shit that we talked about. By we we mean Adam. Well, yeah, dog shit's not that dirty. I know, but still, but I I used a glove. Or we were a hoping bag. it was dog shit. <laughs> but I wouldn't be too stoked about having to do that if I had to carry the trash around in the car in yeah. case there was any smell. But if it's in the back on the little backpack. It really gives you good options. And to clarify, because we know we've been in bear country, um, when we camp in bear country, we keep our trash uh, in the refrigerator at night, like our food trash, the bones, the things that would smell a lot and be attractive to a bear. Yeah. And then we, when we're driving out, we move it to the trash room and dump it as soon as we can. Yeah. Yeah. Because we are aware you can't just put trash in a trash room and expect it to be safe from a grizzly bear. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we are huge wild camping fans, and mm-hmm. that includes boondocking sometimes. Uh, so the thing with boondocking is when we were in South America, especially like through Patagonia and uh, a lot of Bolivia and all these places, it's just wide open. There's not yeah. anyone around. It, we would just find a, like a, kind of a small dirt highway and drive down it two miles and pull off next to a bridge and camp. Yeah. A lot. Uh, and that's yeah. a supported way to do things. It's not against the rules for the most part, um, as far as we knew. Yeah. And we would ask permission if there was anyone around. We'd say, like, hey, is it mm-hmm. cool if we camped here? Um, and but there were times we gave locals a little bit of money or yeah. food or whatever it was to be like, hey, yeah, we're here. Is that cool? Here yeah. we go. Yeah. Are we square? Is this good? Yeah, that's the kind of shakedown that I'm always willing to pay. I don't feel like that's a shakedown. I feel like that's well, completely legit to be like, I don't own this, but you're in my backyard. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, but you know, in theory, they don't have any right to ask for money. It's I guess, just like, but, but it's you... not, it's totally something that's like, yeah, you're yeah. out here making a living and subsisting off the land or like hurt, you know, hurting and yeah, or just here camping. Like, yeah, I'm willing to support the community in that way, mm-hmm. you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're going to use I Overlander, don't be a jerk is our point. All right. So Adam, should we get into your technical corner? Yeah, sure. Um, I had a quick thing that occurred to me. So to track gas mileage in the car, I think I've talked about this. I keep a spreadsheet and I note how many gallons I put into the car every time I fill up. Can I put, you post the spreadsheet on our website? Yeah, I could do that. I it's could a see Google sheet. I could share a it. Point one percent of people who listen to this <laughs> podcast being really into that. All right, I'll, I'll put it up. Um, but what I do is I track, I fill it up. I always let the pump go until it's completely filled Mm -hmm. and i note how many gallons went into it and i note the mileage and then with those two factors the next time i fill up i know how many gallons of gas were needed to refill it and i know how many the delta in miles since i last filled it and that is able to give me miles per gallon Mm -hmm. so that's how i track miles per gallon but one of the big things that's kind of tricky is that every pump is different when you fill up the gas at the gas pump it stops automatically, but they're all different shapes, different lengths, different mechanisms. And I was just curious, like, how does that actually work? So this is something I didn't know. But how do these gas pumps know when to shut off? Maggie, do you know? I can promise you right now I, I don't, <laughs> and I also probably don't care. Well. <laughs> but go I'll, ahead and explain it to me. Allow me to tell you. <laughs> so uh, it's a little lever. You squeeze this lever, and gas starts flowing out. 
But one of the things that happens is the flow of gasoline goes through what is called a Venturi nozzle. And a Venturi is just basically, is referring to the Venturi dynamic of fluid. When you push fluid through a constrained hole, it actually creates a little vacuum on the back end of that pushing. Um, so what a vacuum means is that there's like negative pressure, so it's going to suck air in. Mm-hmm. So the way a gas pump works is that at the very end, you have it comes out the end, right? The, the gasoline comes out the end, mm-hmm. but there's actually a little bit of a hole also, if you look at the underside of the nozzle, and that nozzle is basically a little straw that goes back up into the pump mechanism, and it's sucking air constantly through that straw to equalize that pressure from the Venturi flow, right? I look like I'm losing you a little bit here, Maggie. You never lose me during your technical corner, <laughs> ever. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, the main thing is that that little straw, um, like if you suck through a straw, air flows freely if the straw is not in anything. But if all of a sudden you were to put your finger over the end of the straw, that changes the airflow drastically. And so that little straw at the end of the gas nozzle feeds back into the part where the gasoline is coming from, where there's a little bit of negative pressure. And that change in pressure triggers it to stop. So what causes that hole to get blocked up in this example? Well, the level of the fuel in the gas tank is rising, rising, rising. And once that level raises past the little hole at the very tip of the gas nozzle, that is what triggers the gas pump to stop automatically. Neat. So one thing that can go wrong, though, is if, especially in shadow, the way that our down nozzle is shaped, sometimes the gas will get, like, kind of backed up a little bit on this, like, it'll make a little spiral as it's spinning down the, the intake tube. And that will block up the air enough to cause it to stop early, and you have to kind of feed it slowly and mm-hmm. position it. It's a little finicky. Um, but, yeah, that's how that works. Well, I learned something today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'll remember it forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember me next time you're filling up the gas tank. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, Maggie, mm-hmm. what is in your self-care pillow fort? So, we're in Vancouver right now staying with one of my best girlfriends from college. And since we last saw her, she got a dog. He's a corgi mix named Diddy. And he's my favorite. So my (laughs) self-care... That's not something you chose. But my (laughs) self-care is taking lots of time to give him pets and let him shed all over me. I like that he likes me more than you. He totally does. It's such bullshit. (laughs) Because I just ignore him. I worship at the temple of Diddy, and he's like, Adam, but Adam, are you going to hang out with me? I went downstairs to take a poop, (laughs) as it were. All right, come on. (laughs) And then I saw, you know, mid-poop, you're looking around the bathroom, and I noticed a little bit of a dog tail peeking under the door crack because he flopped his butt against the door waiting for me while I was pooping. Oh, that, Michelle says he does that, though. Oh, for I, I thought I was special. No, he just does that. He, he does likes that When everyone. people are in the bathroom, he likes to sit outside the bathroom. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was special. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, he's a corgi mix, and he's really cute. And Michelle told me an amazing fact about corgis. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for it? Yes. Okay. So according to Welsh mythology... Corgis were the steeds that fairies rode into battle. So the little collar of fur around their neck, where you see like a little line, is called a fairy saddle. Mm, but only fairies can do it. Yeah, fairies I are can't, small. Can I ride? No, him he's into very battle? small. 
I want to ride him into battle. Okay. <laughs> that requires a battle, first of all. First of all, and also, like, into. please don't break Diddy's back because you're trying to he, sit on him. Diddy is strong. Diddy is he, really strong. Yeah, I bet he could carry me. See, you didn't believe me when I was like, Corkies aren't yeah. little dogs. I thought they were in the little dog group. No, which is to they're say, bred to herd cattle, man. Yeah. They, they bite cows. No. They're not afraid of you. Yeah. Anyway, that's my self-care pillow fort. Mm-hmm. Diddy pets. Mm-hmm. Should we get into the three Bs? Yes, let's do it. So, as always, the three Bs stand for beautiful, brutal, and bizarre. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, Adam, what is your choice this week for beautiful? My choice comes from the last bit of nature that we are in. Mm -hmm. We recorded the last episode from, I am blanking on it, Yellowstone. We are in Yellowstone Mm -hmm. in kind of like a a day-use area in Mm -hmm. the car. Um, and then from there, we drove out. We went to Butte, Montana, and then we drove through what was really cool. It was like a, a reservoir mm-hmm. that was just essentially just a lake. But you could tell that the water level has changed drastically because there are all these dead trees in the middle of the lake from when the water level used to be a lot lower. Yeah. And that was really cool. I think my theory about how that happened is that a dark wizard hid his horcrux in that lake. Oh, so he created the <laughs> lake. Okay. Yeah. I just thought maybe they built a reservoir there and the water level went I think up, my explanation is far more reasonable. Okay. Yeah. It's a much easier assumption to make. You know that horcruxes aren't real, right? You know, Adam, I didn't come dark here to wizards, poop on your parade. Dark wizards are real, but horcruxes, no. Oh, that's where you draw the line? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, Maggie, your pick mm-hmm. for beautiful? Um, This might sound kind of funny to some people. But as an Asian person, um, in Seattle, it was really comforting and exciting and beautiful to be surrounded by so many other Asian people. Hmm. It's been a really long time since I looked around on the street and just saw a lot of people who look like me. Mm-hmm. And and then we did. And I didn't realize how much of a comfort that can be because it's not how it's not even how San Francisco is. It's not like we go home and then I feel that way. Seattle's particularly this way. But I think after being kind of a stranger in a strange land for so long, yeah, it was kind of neat. That's interesting. Yeah. It felt very, I don't know. It was nice to be in touch with my heritage. We also visited um, the graveyard where my grandmother on my mom's side and grandfather and my great grandparents are buried. Yeah. And they're buried in this like, basically the Japanese section of this cemetery. And it was just really beautiful. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. How about Brutal? Do you have a choice for Brutal this week? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. We apparently went to Seattle during one of the busiest weeks of Seattle's schedule. Mm-hmm. There's like the seafair thing mm-hmm. where they have people dress up pirates and kings and uh, you know stuff like that we didn't go to it is our point (laughs) (laughs) but it was happening um and every single airbnb was booked up apparently or very expensive uh so there was definitely some surge pricing yeah exactly we were in like a 2x surge pricing for all of the time that we were there and we it was kind of slim pickings we found an airbnb but it was one of these Airbnbs where they have one listing that they use to book up multiple units. That are all different. And I used to be an Airbnb host in San Francisco, yeah. I'll admit to, uh, now that I no longer live there. <laughs> What's she going to do, evict you? <laughs> um, and, you know, I so I, I have both sides of this. Maggie and I have used Airbnb quite a bit on this trip. We mm-hmm. have a lot of points of comparison. 
this was some of the worst customer service I have ever seen. And it was based on not having what she listed in the listing available for us. Yeah. It's just inaccuracy. Yeah. Where it was like, there's parking. There's no parking. It's a king bed. It's a queen bed. Yeah. (laughs) And every time we said anything, they're like, well, other people don't complain about this. It's like, well, Maggie and I care about the size of the bed. That's why we chose your place. Like we turned down 10 other cheaper options because you said you had a king bed and dedicated parking. Yeah. These are the two things we looked for and you have neither of those things. Yeah. So it was like really brutal. And plus we paid like more than $200 a night. You know, it came out to be like $250 a night with like taxes and cleaning and all the, there's like a Seattle use fee. I don't want to know. It just hurts my feelings. You just blew all that, of our budget for the whole yeah. like month. That segues into thing. my point for brutal. What's your pick brutal? The United States is so expensive, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is. Like we have gotten so spoiled and I guess we're probably extra attuned to it because it's like towards the end of the trip and we're thinking about like pulling our lives back together and stuff. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so to that end, we talked before, like is San Francisco a scam? Cause I've been looking at apartment listings again, like trying to see, you know, where we can live, what's kind of the average market price for things we're looking for. Um, and even though prices supposedly have gone down in San Francisco, uh, it's, it's brutal. Like what? What are we talking? Um, so a one bedroom in the DeBose area, which is a really great neighborhood mm-hmm. by DeBose Park. Very desirable. Super desirable. So I get that. Like this is where I would expect it to be expensive. Maybe not as expensive as the mission proper, but still very expensive. Was $4,000 for a one bedroom with no parking, one pet allowed under 40 pounds. Um, with, and it's like a Victorian. It's a cool building. But still, $4,000 a month, not including your utilities, for a one-bedroom. But that's an extreme example, I feel No, like. it's not. That's what's pretty the, normal. What's cheaper? What, what's the cheaper option? Because DeVos, fancy Victorian. Yeah, so the right? neighborhood we were in before, we could probably... Haight-Ashbury. The Haight-Ashbury area, um, it's more like 3200 a month yeah. for the same kind of thing. So it's not that it the prices have gone down they're about the same exactly as when we left yeah that's what she was re- trying to rent out our apartment when we moved out really for 3200 yeah. that's a rip off i hope nobody paid that yeah i think there was a little bit of room for negotiation if you yeah. like she put it high and then she comes down hmm. after a week or two but anyway anyway the united states is expensive yeah it's true should we get into bazaar yes Mine actually segues again to that end. We really have been trying to get our lives.